0: Good morning, I'm Will Weinig, and our reading this morning is from Matthew 7. Jesus said, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, This is one of Jesus' more famous statements in the Sermon on the Mount we've been looking at all summer long. Um, Just as a quick aside, if you have kids in here and they're squirmy, that's okay. We say it every week. Um, There's also a gym available if you want to run around with them, but the gym is the big gym. Uh, The small gym is being used for some teacher prep or other things of that nature, so head that way, including after church, and keep an eye on those kids of yours as well. Um, the um, Jesus talking about Judge not is where I should start there, I guess, right? Um, judge not invites us to rethink a way of judging that we get very anxious about in our culture today. We do not like judgy people. In fact, pretty much no culture ever has. But Jesus uses some funny, comedic sort of imagery here about a log in your eye and taking a speck out of your brother's eye, and yet I also think he's inviting us into a relational wholeness that invites us to find a way to judge well. So we're going to look at that this morning. As we start again, I'm going to reread the first two verses of Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. and With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So when Jesus says judge not, we have to define it pretty simply. Just a very simple thing to do is define what Jesus means by the word judge. And in the ancient world, much like today, you had two ways of understanding the word judge. One is to evaluate or critique something, kind of like, If I have a cup of coffee, I evaluate whether it is a good cup of coffee, whether I prefer this coffee to that coffee. You can listen to a band or watch a movie, and you're judging it on that level of evaluating and critiquing. But the other level is that of condemning or punishing. And in a sense, this is what a judge does in a court of law. He brings punishment and a judgment, a verdict on somebody. It's what, um, in one of the books that we've been passing out or inviting people to read, a short book on the Sermon on the Mount by Sky Jathani, he gives this illustration of it's the difference between apples or oranges and apples are less than oranges. One of them is evaluating, the other is condemning. And so Jesus is not saying don't evaluate. Yes, evaluate, make judgments. Jesus himself does it, right? At the end of this passage, he talks about people who reject the gospel or don't want to hear the truth, and he calls them pigs and dogs. It's a little harsh. He calls the Pharisees hypocrites. These are the religious people. So Jesus makes evaluations that sound challenging. But Jesus is also saying in Judge Not that you and I are not the judge. We are not the vindicator of ourselves. We're not the ones responsible for righting all wrongs, especially wrongs done against us in this world. The only true and final judge is God and that's where we're supposed to start. So if we're gonna just say what's the difference between whether I'm judging in the wrong way or in the right way, a very basic simple difference is your intent and your relationship to the person you're evaluating. Your intent and your relationship. Dallas Willard, in his book, uh, The Divine Conspiracy, written over 20 years ago, talks about this passage, and he says this, judge not, the way Jesus is using it, finds its meaning in the deeply rooted human practice of condemning and blaming, instead of blessing and helping those around us. When Jesus says judge not, he's saying, it's that practice of condemning and blaming that we all have a tendency to lean towards. And in that sense, what Jesus is talking about, don't do this, is judgmentalness, or being judgy would be the word that we would use. And when I was reflecting on this, I thought, you know, the times when I'm most judgmental is when I'm most self-focused, that in order to kind of constrain myself from walking into a judgmentalness, I need to be more others-focused, concerned about them and their well-being, And we have that tendency to either be self-focused people at any given moment in life, or others-centered. A few weeks back, if you were with us, I think one of our outdoor services, we talked about how we have a tendency by nature to think of other people as a threat or a commodity. They're either a threat to my identity, to what matters to me. They're a threat to my standing in the in-group. They're a threat to me being the funny one. They're a threat to me being the successful one or they're a commodity. If I get close to them, I will be in. Then I'll have power, then I'll be cool, then I'll be in, then I'll be successful, then everyone will like me. So we use people or we see them as a threat. And as we do that, we will tend to judge them in the way Jesus is saying to avoid. We can dismiss people, just without saying anything, dismiss them because we, we see character flaws. We, we kind of label them as, oh, she's just a liar oh, he's a jerk, and then we feel better about ourselves. Or we do it publicly or with other people in order to kind of boost ourselves. If we publicly shame somebody else or do it with other friends, it makes us look good, we think. (laughs) What Jesus says and what we see him doing in this is not just saying don't ever use judgment. He's saying desire the best for other people. Desire the best for other people, which means pushing into relationship with them. And yet he also warns us of something else. He warns us in verse three and four. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? I mean this is, this is honestly, this is comical. The concept of this is just, it's absurd, right? Like nobody walks around trying to take things out of people's eyes. So I, I brought a couple of like simple illustrations here and um, maybe I could get somebody to help me. But basically it's taking the speck out of somebody else's eye with a pair of tweezers, right? If, if I came at you with these tweezers and your eye open, you'd be a little nervous. You would hope that I wouldn't go near your eye, but what if, while I'm doing it, this is sticking out of my face? You know, like, I mean, it's, it's comical what Jesus is doing here. But he's saying this is what you are doing when you're judging other people without being honest about your own issues. It's as if you're walking around with an entire piece of wood stuck in your face, and you're trying to jab at somebody else's eye with a pair of tweezers. The concept is not totally off, you are, is what Jesus is saying. And he wants us to be people who see clearly. Take the log out of your eye. You know, one of the metaphors that Jesus is playing on this whole time in this whole passage, and I think it's the underlying metaphor we should see as what's driving our understanding of it, is seeing clearly versus not seeing clearly. Seeing well versus being blinded. Seeing our own sin Weakness, failure, character flaws, well, versus being blinded to them or trying to hide them. Jesus is saying, Are you self aware? Are you open and honest about your brokenness with other people? Are you open to their critique of you? To see clearly requires humility. To see clearly requires humility. And it requires having a gospel view, a gospel view of ourselves, a gospel view of others. And when we do, when the gospel shapes our view of ourselves and others, we can no longer see sin in other people as worse than ours. When you really let the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, deep into your heart, you see your own sin, whatever it is. We all have it. We see our own sin as just as bad as anybody else's. So actually think about that. Think about the sort of people you really, really don't like or hold grudges against or even people in the news that are kind of the worst of criminals. The gospel says my sin, my sin as a pastor, as a man, as a dad, as a friend, as a person around here is just as bad as theirs. When I let the gospel press in, it pushes me because I have to recognize this. The Bible says this very clearly, we are all under judgment. These, these are verses that some of you know well, but hear them again, even if you do. We are all under judgment. That's, what, that's the basic starting point of the Bible and of the gospel, which means good news. The starting point is that we are all under judgment for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of our sin is death. The payment for our sin is death, meaning judgment. And in Romans 5.10, it says, we by nature are enemies of God. We are all under judgment. Not one of us is better than the other. But, but the gospel, right? But the gospel. All have sinned. All deserve death. Before God, regardless of whether you're Mother Teresa, Gandhi, or the worst dictators in history, all of us stand condemned. But the gospel tells us we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and his death for us. He died in our place. And Romans 8.1 assures us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The basic gospel message is this. We stand under the judgment of God the judge. But in Jesus Christ, God was judged for us. He was condemned in our place for our sin and brokenness. And that gets us to the final kind of concluding point of of the whole gospel, which is how we refer to it again and again. Is this phrase, in Christ, you are more sinful than you're willing to admit. More sinful than you're willing to admit even to yourself. But because of Christ, you are more loved than you dare to imagine, more sinful than you're willing to admit, more loved than you can ever imagine. And this changes us. When we let that sink in, it changes us. And we can approach our own condemnation and other people's condemnation very differently I'm going to read a longer section out of Dallas Willard's book, where he talks about the the impact of the gospel shaping his thinking of himself and of others. He writes this, when we enter the life of friendship with the Jesus, who is now at work in our universe, we stand in a new reality where condemnation is simply irrelevant. There is before God no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. And as for the condemnation we may receive from others, I endeavor not to receive it, to just ignore or drop it. I have learned to look at it only while simultaneously holding in full view the fact that Jesus, so far from condemning me, died for me and is right now intervening intervening on my behalf in the heavens. The gospel enables us to not let other people's condemnation crush us or to respond with condemnation in turn. It breaks that, that back and forth of blaming and pushing on others because the gospel sinks in and Jesus enables us to see there's no condemnation where it really matters. In other words, another way to think about this is the gospel enables us to no longer make lists of acceptable sins. When I was in high school, I had very little patience for gossip. I remember people telling, you know, kind of talking about other people negatively, and I would do one of two things. I would either stop them or I would walk away in disgust. I had no patience for gossip. But I had a lot of patience for for kids who struggled with with lust. Because I was in a small group of guys, and we all struggled with that as 16-, 17-year-olds. I had patience for that. I knew it was something that that you had to work on and try for But gossip, there was no place for it. I had made, even in my own kind of measuring, certain sins as totally unacceptable and others as well, you know, it takes time to get to a better place. But as the gospel sank deeper into my heart, not just in my head, but into my life, it enabled me to see that there's no difference, that all of us stand condemned and God is patient with each of us in our brokenness. And he invites me and you into the same thing. He invites us into the same thing. When we think about that we are more sinful and more loved than we can imagine, it both gives us humility, it humbles us, and gives us confidence. It humbles us to never think of ourselves better than anyone else, ever. Full stop. But also to have confidence. The confidence that I am loved. The assurance that I'm loved not because I'm good today and bad tomorrow, but because God died for me. And that confidence enables me to be more vulnerable, to love people, and to also tell them the truth. The confidence to be courageous and honest with them. Jesus says, do not judge, see clearly, and then he goes on to talk about actually judging people. In verses 5 and 6, we read, Jesus saying this, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus here is actually telling us to judge in a certain way. So here's the question, ready? Just the first half of verse 5, why does, Jesus say, why does Jesus say take the log out of your own eye? He says that on one level so that we're not hypocrites and we should be humble and self-aware and honest. But why, why do we need to be humble and self-aware? The reason is in the second half of the verse. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's inviting us into something else. And of course, the first thing, as we talked about it before, is he wants us to see clearly. This is, again, that imagery of sight versus blindness. And the metaphor of seeing versus being blind in the Bible, as well as the metaphor of light and darkness, is a metaphor for spiritual awareness and true wisdom. And spiritual awareness, or sight, light, Is always related to God and God's ways and God's purposes. To see clearly the way Jesus is talking about it and the way the Bible talks about it is not just to see ourselves well, to be self aware, but it's also to see God, to know God, to desire to walk in God's ways, to follow Him. In other words, to see clearly is built on this foundation God's ways which we know of because of God's word. To see clearly is always built on God's ways and God's word. Psalm 119, the psalmist says, Thy word, your word, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you want to see, you need God's word. And when it says God's word, it's talking, nowadays we see this, that Christianity holds it as the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, the revelation of who God is in Jesus Christ is revealed in the Scriptures, Old and New Testament. This is where we know who God is, what he desires in this world, and what he has done through Christ. Paul writes to Timothy, and he assures him, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We go to God's word, to the Bible, to understand who we are called to be. That's where wisdom comes from. That's where seeing clearly comes from. The Bible, for us as Christians, is the standard. It's it's this word, it's the authority. You want to know what to believe? It's here. It's here as understood through the church, not just this church, the church historically and globally. It's not just me by myself, but it is here. And if it can't be proved from here or argued from here, then it shouldn't be held on to as a belief of scripture or something I should live into. Now, that being said, I, I'm not going to know about quantum physics or calculus or driving a car or fixing a gutter from here. But to know God, to know how to live, to be wise, yes. When we diminish or ignore God's word, we're actually doing the same thing with Christianity and with Jesus Christ. You know, the only way you know about Jesus is because of this. So to trust in Christ and to desire to walk as a Christian is to build your life on God's word. And God's word stands in judgment over all of us. That's what it says in Hebrews in a way that it's, A little more nice than just saying it that way, but it says in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here's the goal as a follower of Christ, somebody wanting to live in the kingdom of God and be a kingdom citizen, It is to let God's word sit in judgment on my beliefs, my worldview, my theology. That my worldview and my theology are shaped and built on the foundation of God's word. And that is actually my personal desire. That's what I want. And while you and I may disagree about certain things politically or certain ways of approaching life or even theological issues, my hope is we're both finding it here. Not just this is what I like or what I think, but that this is constantly sitting in judgment on my beliefs that need to be continually shaped, reformed, drawn from God's word, to have integrity, to be built on truth, to see clearly. God's word sits in judgment on our beliefs, and it's meant to do so not just on our beliefs and our thought life, but on our heart and on our life itself. To see clearly or to be wise, is the way the Bible talks about seeing clearly, is to have knowledge of the truth, but also a character conformed to that truth. In other words, to live a life that is conformed to Christ. You can't just know stuff. You've got to look like Christ. So, neither the self-righteous, judgy, religious moralist, nor the kind and friendly secular pluralist sees. One may know the truth, but not look like it. The other one may look very kind, but not know the truth. Both are blind. Jesus is inviting us to something else. And why is he inviting us to see, to be humble, to see God and his ways and live them out? Is so that we can take the speck out of somebody else's eye. See clearly so that you can take the speck out. And this means letting, wanting the best for other people and when, okay, so if I say like I want the best for other people, for a friend, for one of my kids, what I want is not my best for them, it's God's best. When he says take the speck out, it's not let me go find every speck that I see, it's does God define this as a speck? Does God's word define this as something that needs to be healed, changed? We live very often, especially as family members, wanting the best in our cultural definitions of best wanting success for ourselves or our kids as defined by however we define it. But what if what God wants, what the best for you or for your kids is not an easy road? What if he wants to shape you or is shaping you through other things? Will you trust that? Will you entrust your kids, your future, your relationships, your money to God? say, do with it as you want. So we let God's word sit in judgment on our views of money and power and success and sex and human identity. And we live in that way so that we can seek the best for other people and help them to take the speck out of their eye and the other way around. And of course it may be rejected Jesus says, don't cast your pearls before swine. In other words, sometimes you're going to do it all the right way, and still you're going to be rejected. You're going to say what is true and needs to be heard by somebody, but like a pig getting thrown pearls, they're going to say, this is terrible food, stomp on the pearls and try to attack you. If, If you try to save a drowning cat, that cat might not be so happy. might try to scratch you, It might think you're trying to drown me. The gospel is not always going to be received well. But one of the ways that we can ensure that we do the best that we can is that next statement that Jesus says. Take the speck out of your brother's eye. So to take the speck out of somebody's eye is not to walk around finding other people that need to be corrected by you or me. It's to be in relationship of concern and of love and of commitment with other people. Um, I have a problem, so my problem is either a tooth problem or a spinach problem. And it's when I eat spinach, it gets stuck to my teeth. And I don't know if it's the spinach or if it's my teeth, but literally if I eat a spinach salad, I will have spinach all over my teeth. Blueberries do the same, pretty much any food that possibly has like some sort of Velcro on it, my teeth have the other side of that Velcro. And I didn't know that this was the case until um, I was in more of a longer-term relationship um, with a person I'm married to who pointed it out all the time. And at first I didn't want to hear it because I was like, it's not my it's not an issue. But it was, there's spinach on your teeth. And I needed somebody, I realized I need somebody to point that out. So I don't walk around with something on my tooth all day long. Right? It's a simple thing. But we need friends and community, people in our lives who can tell us not just about spinach on our teeth, but about our anger issues, or a control problem, that we're drinking too much, that our politics have gotten pretty mean-spirited. We need people in our lives who can point out the stuff that is truly dangerous to us. And it's not always easy, but there is a difference. There's a difference between a knife attack and surgery. It's the same instrument, but one is brutal and vicious and evil and wants to kill or hurt. The other may hurt, but it's trying to heal and help. To be people who judge well in the way Jesus is implying here is to be people who have cultivated authentic love for others. And that does start with humility and wisdom, God's word, God's ways, and relationship. Relationship with a brother or sister, a family member, and desiring the best for them. Let me close with this. We've been talking about do not judge, God the judge, condemnation, specs, issues, which also means that probably sitting in here, many of us feel judged. We feel the weight of condemnation. Even as I'm trying to avoid it, It's sometimes hard, and and hear this: that may actually be the Holy Spirit working in you. But how do we take a speck out of our own eye? How do we get the log out if we're not even aware, or if we're starting? If you start to feel guilt or shame, you know that it's there. You feel condemned. First, ask for help. Don't do life alone. We need brothers and sisters, friends, spiritually wise people who actually see clearly to help us to do surgery. I should not be doing surgery on my own eye. But secondly, remember this. You can admit your fault before God, whatever it is. Even if just talking about it today, it's there in the back of your head as you've been listening. Confess before God, trust him. He is the final judge, not your mom and dad, not the world, he is the final judge but he is also the judge who is your savior, your healer, your forgiver, and your friend. Let's pray. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known. and From you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord, amen.